Welcome to Students Incorporated, a podcast where we dive into relevant topics and issues related to the world of business, technology, education, and design. I'm your host, Mr. Jason. Episodes include student conversations, interviews with thought leaders, and inspirational stories with an international flavor. This podcast is created and produced with the help of students from the International Community School of Bangkok. episode, we'll be diving into the topics of design education and the design process. Joining us will be our special guests, Mrs. Cammie, Mr. Tim, and Mr. Darwin. Our first segment will be about design education. The following segment will be about the design process and will feature fun art and design themed trivia questions. Before beginning, let's hear the quote of the day and news headlines. Thank you, Mr. Jason. Today's quote is from a famous painter, Jackson Pollock. He said that, Art is coming face to face with yourself. Many artistic pieces often reflect the artist's own emotions and viewpoints. Jackson Pollock was a major influence in the abstract expressionist movement, which lasted from 1943 through the mid 1950s. Pollock was especially known for his paintings created through a drip technique, where he poured paint on a surface and rotated it so that the paint would drip in an abstract manner and would be viewed from all angles. As the time of this recording, the FIFA 22 World Cup is happening in Qatar. Here are some of the biggest upsets so far. Saudi Arabia beat Argentina 2-1. Japan also beat Germany 2-1, with the Japanese fans helping clean up the stadium after the match. Despite losing 1-0, Canada put in a shockingly good performance against Belgium, with this being their first World Cup match in 36 years. Ecuador drew 1-1 to the Netherlands, and USA drew England 0-0 as well. So I guess it can be called soccer and football. Morocco beat Belgium 2-0, dominating the entire game. And when asked about the loss, the Belgian captain Kevin De Bruyne said, we're simply too old. Thank you for that quote and the news headlines. Design, which is the topic of this episode, has played a significant role in my career for a very long time, so I'm glad we can dedicate both guest segments to it. For this first segment, we welcome Mrs. Cami, an experienced educator and artist. Okay, with that, let's get started with our first question. Well, first of all, good morning, Miss, Mrs. Cami. Good morning. Uh, can you please introduce yourself, tell us what you studied in college, and then describe what attracted you to the field of design and art? Sure, um, I'm Cami Lattice and I've been working here at the school for I think it's my seventh year. I went to Messiah College and majored in fine arts. Um, I was a oil painting concentration and um, really loved it. Got to take a lot of classes and a lot of things. Um, what got me started in art was in elementary school, I just loved horses. Um, sorry if you've heard this story, but um, I live, I grew up on a horse farm and just drew them and loved them and rode them. And so yeah, I just loved, I, I loved horses so much. So I, I just started drawing them and inadvertently ended up really loving drawing and painting. Um, in eighth grade, my parents got me an art tutor and she was amazing. She was an older woman who had worked um, for Disney back in uh, like the animation, early animation days and she worked on um, Pinocchio. 
So yeah, she she had, she had the falling leaves scene. She always told me that it was she did the falling leaves. Um, so yeah, I really learned a lot from her about just um, uh, drawing and painting. And then I um, went to college, and at the end of college, I um, was kind of wanting to do more service. So that's when I think I started getting interested in teaching, and ended up um, going back to school to um, study education, and and found that art education is really my calling. I didn't make art for nine years when I was a stay-at-home mom, and then I came back to it as I started teaching. A lot of people confuse the two areas, art and design. You probably have noticed that. What is the difference and how do these two things converge, especially in the field of education? I really think art doesn't have a set purpose. It, it can be um, what the artist wants. There's a lot of purposes that the artist sets out for, maybe like um, to explore a certain medium, to um, to express themselves. They don't even have to say what the purpose is. There's a lot of art that is left untitled. Um, whereas design is a lot about function. Usually when you're designing something, you're thinking of someone else or something else. And, and you really, your design is at the mercy of what the function is for that thing. I actually, um, I think of fashion a lot. I'm not a big fashionista, but I think of um, the difference between um, the designs that are on a, a catwalk, which you, you see them and you're like, I would never wear that. Mm. But the, the designer is going after something new. They're trying to find something fresh and exploring and, and kind of playing with new materials or new ideas. Um, I really love Target <laughs> back in the States. And often they partner with a designer like uh, Marneco um, and they make the designs that don't seem functional on a, on a catwalk. Um, functional for, for moms and for regular people. So I think that's a great um, example of the difference between art and design. Staying within the field of education, what are your thoughts about design education or educating people about design? Why is this important and what impact do you think this can have on society as a whole? Yeah, I think um, even just in my short little lifetime, um, the world has become more and more visually oriented. Um, we barely have time with consumers. You, you have to design things so tightly that you get their attention in a split second. Um, so I think design has never been more important. I read a great book a while ago by David Berman called Do Good Design. It says, uh, design matters as it never has before. Design creates so much of what we see, what we use, and what we experience. In a time of unprecedented environmental, social, and economic crises, designers must now choose what their young profession will be about deploying weapons of mass deception or helping repair the world. So I think design is really important in influencing society and the way people think, if we can use it for good. Um, and that's kind of what that whole book was about, is harnessing the power of design, the power that can sell Coca-Cola and um, using it to send um, great messages. So for you personally, are there artists or designers that have inspired you or that you take inspiration from? If so, who are they and why? Yeah, um, on the art side, I found a lot of um, artists through actually Instagram. Um, it's just so accessible and you can see art quickly that way. Um, Felicia Forte is a, is a painter who I just really admire her fresh colors, her compositions, and her just everyday life kind of scenes. Um, Carol Maureen is another painter who um, inspired me a lot, especially coming back to art after being a stay-at-home mom. She also was a mom, and um, that's kind of when she started her painting career, is during her children's nap times. She would um, challenge herself to paint every day a small amount of time, 
and she always keeps her paintings really small. So I thought, oh, it just seemed like this insurmountable, uh, or this just mountain I couldn't climb to get back into art. So um, for her to break that down was really uh, amazing for me. On the design side, um, the, I actually got that David Berman book that I mentioned before from a designer I really admire named Victoria Harrison. Um, her husband was actually a, a high school friend of mine, uh, Scott Harrison, and he started a, way back in 2006, he started a nonprofit called Charity Water, which was kind of groundbreaking at the time. He rented out a, a studio down in New York City and had a photography show there for his birthday. And I guess he, um, he had been a nightclub promoter in New York City, so he had a lot of celebrity friends and um, invited them to donate to Charity Water as his birthday present. He ended up uh, hiring a woman named Victoria Harrison to be his designer. She's so inspiring because she, she wants to do this with design. She wants to harness the power of design and influence for good. And so um, because of her designs, Charity Water, and a lot of other factors, but it really took off um, and I admired that. Okay, moving on to something a bit more whimsical, we've compiled a few statements that, according to Google, artists have actually said when describing their works of art. Would you mind reading them using your best artist voice? All right, I am not my husband. If, if he were here, he would try to do all the accents, but I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I'm gonna go for more like NPR. Okay, so my first statement is by Georgia O'Keeffe, and she said, nobody really sees a flower, really. It is so small, we haven't time. And to see takes time. So I said to myself, I'll paint what I see, what the flower is to me, but I'll paint it big and they will be surprised into taking time to look at it. Very good. Mm -hmm. That just like her. That sounded just oh, thank like you. her. Yes. All right. Um, you have one more, I think, right? <clears throat> okay, yes, I have another one. Okay. Next, we have a statement by another female artist named Berth Marisol. I hope I said that right. She is quoted as saying, it is important to express oneself, provided the feelings are real and are taken from your own experience. My ambition is limited to capturing something transient, and yet this ambition is excessive. Artists sometimes put out the best statements, don't they? <laughs> and sometimes we understand them, sometimes, sometimes we do not. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Mrs. Cammie. It's been really interesting. I love hearing the stories of how people get into design and art, so thank you so much. Uh, now, before beginning the next part, let's hear the PSA from Lion. Most of us have heard about gratitude, but how does it affect us in life? Scientists at the University of California, Berkeley, found that practicing gratitude has many benefits in life. Physically, these people had stronger immune systems, were less bothered by aches and pains, and enjoyed better sleep. Mental health benefits include feeling more joy, and experiencing more optimism, generally making us happier. Gratitude also helps with social life. People who practice gratitude become more generous and compassionate, and they even report feeling less lonely and isolated. So, be grateful for what you have, everyone. Thank you for that announcement. In our second segment, we welcome Mr. Tim Mills and Mr. Darwin, both of whom are artists and designers. This segment is focused on the importance of design process. And Lion will start us off with our first question. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Can you please introduce yourselves and uh, tell us what you studied in college and then describe what led you to the creative field? Let's start with the one and only Mr. Tim Mills. All right, good morning. Well, I studied uh, fine art in college and I had a focus on uh, ceramics 
and uh, visual communications minor as well. Uh, I worked as a designer for a number of years out of college and uh, upon graduation, and, and I've continued working in the uh, ceramic arts as well. I, I was drawn to the creative field through uh, just an innate desire to create. My name is Darwin. I am the web and graphic designer here in ICS. Well, mostly like doing multimedia producing and such. So I studied international business for my college degree and pursued my diploma in media production afterwards. What led me to the creative field is the branding of a business. Um, I remember sitting down in a business branding class and I thought to myself like, I, I want to design stuff. And that's, that's where it all started. Since we are focused on the design process in this segment, is there a specific process that you follow when creating or designing? maybe in the context of having a specific project that you're working on? For me, creating and designing, they really tap into kind of a fundamental human desire to make. That process is really at its core one of play. So when I think about uh, you know, designing and making, our imaginations are fully engaged. It's one of exploration, discovery. So the process for me often begins uh, with these sparks of possibility, you know, these initial ideas, these what-ifs. And then often I just get initial ideas and concepts out quickly into some tangible form, you know, like a quick sketch, ink on paper, kind of get the idea out. Then of course there's refinement, prototyping, trial and error, more error, <laughs> uh, sometimes success, right? Times I have an idea and I can't even sketch it out right then, so I'll just I'll put a word down, you know, get get my phone out, type a word or two in, uh, something to help me mark that idea for later. Yeah, when there's like a specific or desired end in mind, you know, those those aspects certainly inform and, and drive the process for me. But fundamentally, I think um, the process of design and creating, it's always one of play, it's one of discovery. And Darwin, what about you? Do you have a specific process that you follow? Um. Well, with my line of work, like, graphic design basically um, every project has different process and sometimes it, the process is A, B, C, D and sometimes it's like C, A, D, B oh. um, but with all of my creative process and creating school materials I have to walk around and see how the design will flow with and how the school looks like um, for example the wayfinding system um, two years ago, ICS all have this green plastic room and they told me like they, they've been there since this building like um, built. We have different designs, different fonts and teachers and such. So one of my early tasks when I was hired um, was to create a uniform wayfinding and signage system here um, that matched ICS logos and colors. So during that time, elementary building was slowly becoming blue and white and we knew that um, the middle school and high school buildings will be white and blue as well. So the process was to take a walk and envision how people interact with the design. In this case, I created a blue acrylic glass room signages with white bold font in a white wall. With this, people can see what room is from afar without needing to go close and read the room number. It sounds so simple, but it involves a lot of meetings, brainstormings, um, and then the initial conclusion to proceed with the design. So do you think that most creators follow a similar process or do you feel like the project kind of dictates that process and it could be different every time? My thought is that, yeah, that most designers, creators, you know, creators, makers, 
they do approach a similar process of what we've both spoken about. What I like about what Darwin just mentioned was he actually inhabited the design process physically. You know, he was out there walking around and looking and that is, that's a great, you know, a great note, um, a great point about actually stepping into what would be, um, what he would be needing in that design process. I think, yeah, I think for me, I, you know, that idea of discovery of play, I, I imagine that most designers, um, I mean, it, it starts with an idea, right? Kind of engaging our ima imagination and that helps to drive us. Yeah, so um, I feel like a lot of creatives have similar, but also different process of things. Um, maybe when I was a beginner, I follow a certain process that um, my teacher told me or what I watch on YouTube. But now as I grow, I'm creating my own craft. It's more like, oh, this is how I do things. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm comfortable doing. Well, thank you for sharing, gentlemen. Uh, can you talk about the concept of form and function, as well as share your thoughts about how design can reflect the culture of the day? Like the example of what I shared um, earlier about the sandwiches. Do I want to create an artistic like room design? Yes, of course, but it's not what is needed. The demand for the design is to create an effective way to communicate, which is um, the room needs to be seen. It needs to be effective in um, communicating where the toilets are, where the rooms are, how do you go to ARC, how do you go to like the principal's office. The form of the design should always follow its function. Design is used by most people in everyday life. Um, when you fill out that form, a good layout design can save your time. When you park your car, signages and where you park your car are always um, out there. And the better the signages designs, the, the better you can go in and out of that parking lot. When you need to go to the public toilet, um, you look for that mini male and female icon instead of the word toilet. So design is everywhere and good design can help mm. you in your everyday life. I mean, a bad design, however, can ruin someone's day. Um, mm. it, it can even ruin the national election. That design principle, that uh, maxim, it was actually coined by an architect, Louis Sullivan, American architect, uh, talking about form following function. And another architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, talked about uh, that, you know, and, and kind of expanded it a bit, saying, yes, form follows function, and maybe adding to it, he said, he really sees it as, as form and function should be one, you know, joined, he said, joined in this, uh, in a spiritual union. Interesting phrasing there, joined in the spiritual union. So really, you know, form does follow function in a sense, but then function uh, without form, you know, where, where does that leave us? And also I would say as a ceramic artist, you know, that form itself has a, has a function, you know, like the aesthetic quality and beauty of a particular piece of work. I remember in college for us, working on various forms and things, um, a, take for example, a teapot. It might look wonderful, right, the form, but a function of a teapot is to hold hot water, brew tea, and then to serve that tea, to pour that tea into a vessel. And, you know, you really need to pay a lot of attention to the spout, particularly the rim of the spout, so that it pours well, it doesn't drip, doesn't dribble back on the, on the piece itself. So anyway, yeah, for me, I think that, I think I appreciate Wright's thoughts towards, yes, form follows function, but he said, he, and he even said, this has been misunderstood. You know, he's saying form and function should be one joined in a spiritual union. So I think maybe a designer, a creator, a maker is always kind of going back and forth on that. So here's another follow-up question on that. Is there such a thing as a design going out of style? I believe so, but it's more a circular pattern. 
in most cases, a certain design trend will go out of style, but will never die. Um, it will return back to life when it attracts a new generation. A big buzzword these days is vintage, you know, vintage. something that's kind of applied to uh, when we look back maybe at future or, or at past technologies and think, well, there was something about that that was lost, right? We think about the advent of digital photography and people really looking back to the beauty um, and you know that you know the the grain of a of a fine print photograph um, from times past, and you know in some ways I, I think maybe the fundamental elements of design or the, the elements of design that were in place or implemented those do not go out of style in a sense like those never fade or or you know perish or you know spoil, but but I think there always there's a refinement process. There's a taking and making of. Um, I mean, think about the bicycle, for example. <laughs> I mean, what an incredible invention and design, and, and you know, creative understanding of, of human form and motion with machine, right? But the very first bicycles, right? Um, you wouldn't go mountain biking with them, right? Like they, you know, think about the early ones with the, you know, the gigantic front wheel and the very small back wheel, and just took great balance, and even the ladder to get up onto, and think, right? You're not going to go mountain biking with those. But think about like the, the refinement of that design, right? Today we have road bikes and racing bikes that are light and carbon fiber and so on. So I think those, those fundamental pieces of design do not go out of style per se. Okay, moving on to our next question. For you personally, are there artists or designers that inspire you or that you take inspiration from? If so, who are they and why? Well, besides Mr. Tim Mills, um, oh. admiring Mr. Tim Mills' work, because uh, that's funny. Like I've booked um, multiple classes of Mr. Tim Mills from um, Trampolines. Yes, Trampolines do. Yes. And then it always gets, it gets canceled. canceled. Well, we gotta um, make that happen. So I have. I messaged him once. I'm like, hey, I'm, I admire your work. This is what I like. This yeah. what I like about your work and such. And he's so generous of replying back. So well, we got to make that happen, Darwin. I mean, this is our first collaborative effort here, yeah. this podcast, That's and then so we'll make cool. sure we get some clay work in. Um, soon. Right. Yeah. So besides Mr. Tim Mills, um, I have followed. Her name is S. Devlin. Since um, mm. I know about her work, um, she's a stage designer and artist mm. for concert, theaters, fashion shows, and other range of media. Um, so she often uses light mapping and projected film into kinetic sculptural forms, um, meaning that she challenges the given space by creating an experience through design. Mm. Yeah, you know, my, my list, and I had to kind of narrow it down a little bit, I think it reflects kind of my eclectic interest in making and creating and expression. And, I mean, um, I've always been drawn to the work of Alexander Calder, who, you know, I, I have dabbled in working with steel and welding, and but he's, you know, he... He designed these gigantic mobiles, right? And uh, so large sculptures that were moving uh, with the space that they're in, you know, the slightest breeze can move these gigantic sculptures. I really appreciate his work. Andy Goldsworthy, who works um, out in uh, out in, in natural settings, working with uh, leaves and branches and stone and water and time and rhythm. and He does these sculptures in situ that are out in nature some of them are there longer than others, but I love the work that he does and how he really just takes what's there and rearranges it and makes and creates from what he has and, and draws us into his work 
through his uh, his forms and his um, his posture and, and his work. Um, Mako Fujimura, who's um, Japanese American abstract expressionist painter, but he's working in uh, the Japanese discipline of Nihonga, which is uh, where the, the painter will actually pulverize and, and make their own mineral pigments. So he works with some of the same uh, mineral pigments or, or minerals, I guess, that I use as a, as a ceramic artist as well. But I really appreciate his melding of many different worlds, but that you know, the abstract expressionist work through this traditional Japanese painting discipline. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, one, one art, Japanese uh, ceramic artist, Soji Hamada, and then an English uh, ceramic artist, Bernard Leach. And those two really had a wonderful friendship back in the um, like 1920s and um, just really appreciate both their craft and then kind of how they shared ideas and their cultural backgrounds and just had a wonderful working and friendship, you know, working relationship and friendship throughout their lifetime. Hamada just exhibits, you know, what is, what are some of those amazing qualities of, of Japanese um, discipline and, um, and, and, and art form just in his ceramic work as well. So a few, a few, sorry. That's okay. That's my short list. Well, uh, let's move on to something a little less serious. We've prepared a designer pop quiz for you. It's a true or false quiz. You each have a set of questions to ask each other. And for our listeners' sake, neither one of our guests know what the questions are. So, to both of you, good luck. Okay, Mr. Tim, why don't you lead us off with the first quiz question for Mr. Darwin. All right, so the first question for you, Darwin. Twining's Tea used the same logo for 150 years before changing the font and adding the lion crest. I think that's false. It is false. Okay. Good, correct. Oh. Nice. <laughs> correct. Good job. Well, the logo and font has remained unchanged for 227 years. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's 227 yeah. years. Shows you good design. Doesn't longe- got a style. That's right. right. Longevity in a logo it's design. As long as America. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mr. Darwin. It takes 400 milliseconds for a logo to be recognized by a visual context of the brain. True or false? True. That's correct. So, <laughs> true, that's most equivalent to a person blinking. Second question. The two most popular fonts in 1957 were Helvetica and Universe. I think that's true. True is correct. ICS uses Helvetica. They continue, <laughs> there you go, they continue to be some of the most popular fonts today as well. Incredible. All right. All right. Starting price of a good, high-quality, professional-made logo is fifty dollars. Fifty-five-zero. I'm gonna say true. False. They start from one hundred ninety-nine dollars. Okay. Should be charging more on this. Yeah. That seems pretty cheap too. Really? That seems pretty cheap too. Yeah. I should look up that. Yeah. That's true or not? Okay. Next. All right, third question for you, Darwin. Here we go. The maximum file size of a logo that can be posted online is 200 kilobytes. I think that's true. That is true. This ensures that the logo isn't too large for most mm-hmm. servers and takes up less space for users. Good job. You're three for three. 
Alright, ready? Yes. The estimated market size of logo design services in the US is estimated to be $3 billion. True or false? False. It's true. Ah. This number includes small, <laughs> medium, and large size businesses. Okay. Just Timbers. Alright, yeah, number logos. four. Here we go. <laughs> People generally spend 20 to 30 minutes making their own logo without help from a professional. That's true. False. False. They generally spend five to 15 minutes to make their own logo. Hmm. Five minutes. Five minutes. Wow. It costs about $450 to submit a basic logo trademark application. True. It's false. <laughs> a basic logo trademark application actually costs around $325. Okay. All right. I need to brush up on, on, on some of these. <laughs> okay. Last question for you. Here we go. Levi, so Levi Strauss and Company, right? Levi's jeans, right? Uh, Levi used their logo, their current logo, first in 1995. Their current logo first in 1995. I think that's true. It is false. Okay, they started using it in 1886. And since it has been so successful, they continue to use it. All right. Wow. Yeah, pretty amazing. All right, so. All right, last question. For okay, you. let's see. Um, so, nine years ago, Starbucks filed a 6,000 British pounds lawsuit against a coffee shop in Bangkok that was reportedly using the similar logo. True or false? I'm going to say true. And I think I know that, <laughs> I think I've seen that little brand. Okay, am I, am I right? Uh, true. Okay, yeah, yeah. They used the similar logo to Starbucks, it was named Starbung. Starbucks coffee that actually sounds like familiar to a little coffee shop that used to be on the school property called Starbucks. Oh, yeah, oh that's God. right. Yeah. Oscar Wilde once said, imitation is the greatest form of flattery that mediocre mediocrity can pay to greatness. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's right. <Hey>. <laughs> All right. Well, thank Starbucks. you guys for giving each other a quiz. Um, I, who won that? Darwin, I think Darwin. Darwin I think, win that I think maybe? at least by one, maybe two. But well, we put, kind of put you on the spot, but thanks yeah. for it's okay. It's okay. I mean, I got to brush up on this. Uh, so let's jump into our final question. And our final question is a fun one. What's one place in the world that you'd love to visit, a place you may gain inspiration from, some place you've not been before? China. I mean, China has such a rich cultural history, ancient. And I think for me as a ceramic artist, I would love to really spend some, some time there. Um, and it's, you know, in some ways, um, I mean, there's, a, yeah, just such a rich ceramic history there. I've, I've been to Korea, I've been to Japan, I appreciate what those cultures would love to spend more time in those countries. But yeah, as far as a new, a new nation, I would love to visit China. Gotcha. What about you, Darwin? So I've never been out of Southeast Asia. Hmm. So, uh, um, so my goal is to go to Italy. Uh, uh, Probably because of the culture there and mm. all the art forms. Um, and the food. Yeah, the food. Yeah. Yeah. And probably <laughs> because I saved so much on Instagram about Italy and my oh, yes. is now about <laughs> So that's, that's my answer. Great. Yeah, awesome. Okay, as we end this episode, we'd like to thank our guests for joining and discussing the topic of design, something that we see, use, and live with daily. It has been especially fascinating to learn about design and education and the design process, so thank you. Please stay tuned for more episodes about exciting and engaging topics. 
Our next episode is about music and sound, and you won't want to miss it. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the hard work and support of our international student production team. All music and sound effects are courtesy of Pixabay.com, a vibrant community of creatives sharing copyright-free images, videos, and music. And we are signing off until next time. We are Students Incorporated, because your voice matters.